We're in Hebrews chapter 11. If you turn there with me in your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 11, and we're discussing the subject of faith in a series we've entitled The Hall of Faith. Chapter 11, God gives us a series of individuals that had been commended by him for their faith in the Word of God. And as a result, there's a great deal that you and I can learn uh, about faith and how faith works within the believer's life. Last week, we began by stating that we pictured ourselves either there in Cooperstown or in Cleveland at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or there in Canton at the NFL Hall of Fame Standing at the bottom of the staircase, a staircase that you would find at the Field Museum or at the Shedd Aquarium, and in looking up, we find the capitals and the the pillars there in the entranceway, and above that is written verse 6, which we looked at last week, and without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. And so now we have made our way up the stairs. We have read that and been provoked and challenged because on it we read, without faith it is impossible. Bringing us to the point of asking the question, what is impossible without faith? And now we, this morning, will enter the doors of the hall of faith. And before we look at the exhibit of each inductee that God has brought to our attention in Hebrews chapter 11, we're faced with this huge wall. And on the wall is the benchmark in which each of these inductees have been qualified by. And on that wall is written before us verses 1 and 2. We must know what faith is before we can understand the operation of faith in the lives of the individuals that God brings to our attention throughout this chapter. So on that wall before us, we read these words, verses 1 and 2. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. If I were to ask 10 individual Christians, what is faith? I would anticipate that I would get 10 various answers. It is a hard thing to qualify. It is a hard thing to define in and of itself. But the Bible has a very distinct definition for the word faith that is given to us here in these two verses. Now, many believe that the faith that the Bible speaks of is merely a blind optimism or a manufactured feeling of, oh, I hope so. Neither is an intellectual assent to a doctrine, meaning it's not just that I have now raised to acknowledge a certain fact about God. It is certainly not believing in despite of the evidence, for that simply would be reduced to superstition. So what is faith that the world there cannot understand operating within our lives? What allows us to see the world in which God depicts in the Bible, the spiritual world that is described to us therein, as a reality in our lives today 
as we live and walk each and every day with the Lord here on this earth. For one stated that true biblical faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of our circumstances and our consequences. As we look at each of the inductee of the Hall of Faith, each of these individuals over the next several weeks, we will see what that looks like in real life. And specifically, as we look at each of the inductees into this Hall of Faith, we will understand what they overcome to allow that faith to have its perfect work within us. But this morning, I wanted to take a moment to truly appreciate these first two verses before we went any further in our journey through the Hall of Faith. We need to understand this benchmark. We need to understand what the writer of Hebrews was wanting to express through these two verses to allow us to understand the faith that God wants us to have concerning Him. Now, when we speak to those who do not believe in God or in the existence of God, and, they, and we mention the idea of faith, many of them will ridicule us and maybe make a statement such as this, that it's simply an illogical belief in the occurrence of the impossible. Meaning that it's just some hope, and it's random, and there's nothing substantial to it. There's no foundation. There's no evidence to it. Others may simply reduce it to the idea of one individual having faith in and of itself. But my faith is not in my faith. Let's make that clear. My faith is not in my faith. My faith is only as good as that in which it's attached to. That which I can have faith in. And everybody on uh, every day exercises a certain degree of faith, which I proved to you last week by stating that each and every one of you who made their way to church this morning by an automobile exercised faith. You had faith in the engineers. You had faith in the builders. You had faith in, in the uh, structure itself, the car itself. And the moment you turn that key, you were waiting for 62,537 different operations to function perfectly to start that car. Is that faith? Sure it is. Now, if you were to gotten in that car and you saw as you were walking by it and getting into it that it had no hood and there was no motor within it, and you still turn that, your faith would have been empty and useless because it's attached to something that cannot operate in the manner in which it was designed to operate. It is not faith that I have faith in. It is not the size of my faith that God is concerned about, for he said very clearly that if I had the faith the size of a mustard seed, I could remove mountains. That's a pretty spectacular thing if you think about it. But what is faith? What is this faith that is described for us in these two verses? And why is it so important in our everyday walk or life with God? The writer begins by stating very clearly, now faith is. When you see a phrase like this in 
your Bibles, especially, of course, in your English translations, it's, I think, more prominent in the Greek, you are about to be given a definition of something. Uh, something that the writer wants you to know of before you go any further. That's why I stated that this verse would have been written on the wall that we enter into the hall of faith, the big doors open, and we see this gorgeous wall, and on it is these two verses. The writer wants us to know before we go any further what faith is. And he classifies it with three different words. Assurance, confidence, accommodation. Those are three key words that we're going to find in these two verses that we're going to pull together to get our true understanding of what this faith is. Now, the word itself, if I were simply to look up the word faith in the dictionary, I would be confronted with a definition such as this. To believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance. To believe in, to have confidence in, to have faith in. I love when they do that. What does faith mean? Faith. Oh, good, thank you. <laughs> Clear that up for me. To trust, faith, and to have trust. Now, it is accurate in its definition. But the Bible often will expound upon a definition, taking a word from a noun and making it a verb. Let's give you this uh, point in case. The word love. The word love can be a noun, of course, person, place, or thing, but it also can be an action. It can be something that we do. In the Bible, a word was coined by Jesus, agape. It was a word that was used in that culture rarely. They had it in their vocabulary, but no one ever really used it because the definition of it and the meaning of it was kind of obscure to the people of that culture. But then Jesus started using it all the time to, to explain and to define to the people around him as they looked upon him, this is the love that I'm looking for. This is the love I have for you. And the love was then defined not by further words, but by the actions of Jesus himself. If you go to 1 Corinthians 13, you will find very clearly love is, and it gives you a whole list of things there. One of the key components of God is that God is love. God himself is the origination of love. It is from his character that love exists. The Bible tells us that clearly. So when you take the word love out of 1 Corinthians 13 and you read through the passage and replace it with the word God, it's amazing how they parallel so perfectly together. The same is true for the word faith here. We can talk about belief, we can talk about confidence, we can talk about trust, but in and of itself, that would be incomplete. For I believe, again, this word has been changed to be more of an active verb in a person's life to allow them to move forward in their Christian walk or Christian life. And it allows us then to ask the question, it begs us, I should say, to ask the question, what is your faith attached to? Now, that changes the discussion completely, because now it doesn't ask me to qualify the faith as much as I need to qualify that which my faith is attached to. Does that make sense? And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is trying to ask us to, uh, to do by stating it in the manner in which he did. 
we must have faith in God. And to do so, we must know God well enough to allow this trust to grow and move us forward in our Christian life. This is what faith does in our Christian life. This is what faith is and what faith does. And the faith that is, apart from the faith that does, would be incomplete. We need both of them. It gives us the ability to move forward in our relationship with God. It gives us the ability to grow deeper and mature in our relationship with God. This is the catalyst in which propels us forward, and that is our faith. As one wrote, he said, faith is a present and continual reality. It is not simply a virtue sometimes practiced in iniquity, I'm sorry, antiquity. It is a living thing, a way of life the writer wishes to see continue in the practice of his readers. As he went on then to state even clearly, more clearly concerning this reality. Rather, his meaning is that, that there is our realities for which we have no material evidence though they are not the less real for that. Faith enables us to know that they exist. And while we have no certainty apart from faith, faith does give us genuine certainty in the absence of visibility. Now I give you those more in-depth definitions for you to chew on as we go forward. Faith gives us the ability to move forward and to acknowledge an invisible world as a reality. One of the most fascinating dynamics about the Christian faith is that the Bible clearly teaches that the physical world is not the entirety of reality. We live in a physical world and we may conclude that this physical world is all that there is to reality. But the Bible clearly tells us that the physical world is only a portion of the reality in which we exist in. That there's also a spiritual world that operates around us each and every day. It was there from before the beginning and it will be there after the end. That is as much reality as the physical chairs in which you are sitting in this morning. Again, an exercise of faith, right? Each of you came in, you found a place that would be, you know, comfortable for you, looking at me, my good side, my not so good side. And you positioned yourself, you sat on the chair, and you had perfect confidence that that chair would support you. You didn't even think twice about it, did you? Because your past experiences with that chair probably were a positive one. It never collapsed before. It probably is not going to collapse now. God has given us in the human body senses in which we then can exist and understand and acknowledge the physical world, hasn't he? He's given us smell, something we can't see necessarily, but it's quickly indicated to us that it's there, especially if it's bad. 
Aren't you amazed that you can be driving down an empty highway in, in a large area of land with very little trees, and as you're driving down, all of a sudden, you just get an aroma through your, you know, through your vents that, uh-oh, a skunk was here. Especially this year. Did it seem like we were overpopulated with skunks? Everywhere we went, there was a skunk odor. My nose tells me that there's a skunk in the area. It allows me to acknowledge reality. I don't see anything. And I'm driving at the speed limit. <laughs> okay, who laughed? Okay, do you know me too well? Uh, driving at the speed limit, and yet I could still acknowledge that, that skunk actually existed. God has given us the ability of touch. What an incredible sense that is. To allow us to feel cold and feel hot, soft and hard. Again, another element that allows us, a sense, a sense I should say, that allows us to understand the physical reality in which we live today. It's amazing that you can touch something and see nothing, but you pull your hand back immediately because it's hot or it's cold. Then we're given the incredible ability of taste. And having the ability to taste and living in Chicago is not a good matchup for anyone who wants to lose weight. Um, we are just blessed with great food in this, in this uh, area. And then there's our ears, which allow us to eat, you know, hear things. Again, we can't see them, but we hear them. We know that they're there. And it warns us if a train is coming or it tells us an airplane is flying overhead or whatever it may be. And even though that it's not in our visual line of sight, it's still there. And these senses have been given to us to acknowledge the reality in which we live. And of course, then there's the eyes. One of the most precious gifts I think we all have is sight to allow us to see things and to acknowledge them, and to act accordingly towards them. All of these have been given to us to enjoy the world in which God has created. But there's another world that is equally as real as the world in which we live, and that's the spiritual world. And to acknowledge this world as reality, God has given us the ability to have faith. It is the sense in which we have that God has given us to acknowledge this invisible world. Specifically acknowledging, as we'll discover as we go through the hall of faith, as the individuals hoped for something that was still yet to come, believing God fully for it, even before they experienced it from God. They enjoyed the blessings of it even before it was a physical reality because they knew that if God had said something within the spiritual world that whatever God promises he is able to perform and therefore will make it occur in the physical world. That is faith. There is another element that people are trusting today to acknowledge reality and also the spiritual world. They use it as a catalyst in which to acknowledge the physical world and as Christians, we often use it to acknowledge 
the spiritual world, but it is not nearly as reliable as faith. It is something that can be a benefit, but more often it is a problem in our discerning of the reality of God or the reality of, physical, of the physical world. We have been groomed to depend on this sense since I can remember learning as an individual in elementary school. Movies have taught us to no longer rely on the five senses in which God has given us to acknowledge and to interact with the physical world. In fact, one famous theologian said it this way, Use the force, Luke. (laughs) Don't rely on sight, rely on feelings. Feelings are not a substitute for faith. Feelings can be very unreliable. They can have benefit to feel joy or happiness and, and love and so forth in its certain dimensions, but it can also, feelings can also be very misleading. And part of the problem with feelings is that they are so inconsistent. They're like roller coasters that we often get upon and at any moment in time we're at either a huge high in life or a low that we feel is inescapable. Feelings are not to ever be the substitute for faith. As the writer goes on, he says that faith is, and the first word we come to is this word assurance. This word assurance is a Greek word that was used actually in the building of a, of a building or a building of a bridge. It was to indicate the portion of that building that was called the understructure or the substructure. It was that that the building would stand upon. We would say it was the foundation of everything else. As one wrote, he said the word translated substance, or in our case, the word translated assurance, means literally to stand under, to support. Faith is to a Christian what a foundation is to a house. It gives confidence and assurance that he will stand So that you may say faith is the confidence of things hoped for. When a believer has faith, it is God's way of giving him confidence and assurance that what is promised will be experienced. Assurance, confidence in the things hoped for. Now what do we hope for? Well, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I hope for the return of the Lord. It's something I look forward to. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I look forward that knowing that if I pass off this earth, I'm going directly into heaven. What a joyful thing that'll be. I I wait for the uh, old body that this body that's deteriorating will be replaced with one to enjoy all eternity with that God has created and has not been made by hands of man. These are all things that I hope for and I have assurance in that one day they will be reality. That's the assurance. It's the substructure. It's the foundation to it all. Now, many people use the word assurance in place of the word assurance. And there is a technical problem with doing so. Today, we talk a lot about insurance. We have to have insurance on our homes. We have to have insurance on our cars. We have to have insurance for health reasons. And insurance is a thing providing protection against the possible 
eventualities. However, though, that's insurance. It is something that eventually I may have to use due to the circumstances that I find myself in. Assurance is this, that when I do face a problem with my home, such as a fire, or I do have a traffic accident, or I do have a health failure, that when I go to use my assurance, my insurance is capable of doing what it's stating it can do. That's assurance. Insurance is the preparation for the eventual, but assurance is, is knowing that that insurance is capable of doing what you purchased it to do. For example, many today have their fire insurance as individuals. They've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and now I have my fire insurance, and if I were to die, I know that I will go to heaven. Assurance, that's your insurance, assurance is the knowing and the confident that God is able to provide that salvation in which he's promised to give you. Do you see the difference? It is that difference that we expound upon this morning. We need to have that substructure, that assurance that what God is able to do, uh, promise, he is able to perform. Now, this leads me to my next point and to the next point of the writer of Hebrews. Picture, if you, if you will, with me a bridge. A bridge that is used, built to go over a river that something like a train would use uh, to, you know, to cross a river. And we know that the footing of that bridge must be uh, absolutely secure for the bridge itself to support the weight of the train that is running above it. But the support is only a partial construction of that bridge. There must be footing on which those substructures are placed to also maintain the weight of the train that is passing over it. So we can have the substructures. Again, that's the faith. That's the assurance. But now let us place the bedrock underneath them to be able to support that substructure to allow us to move forward or to cross that bridge. And that is the next portion of what this verse states. For the conviction, that word conviction in the Greek can also be rendered evidence of the things not seen. Faith gives us the ability not only to recognize, but to acknowledge as reality the things that we still yet cannot see. And we'll find that as we go through the different inductees of the Hall of Faith, that they were waiting for and they hoped for and they lived as if it was already provided for them even though they were still waiting for it, it existed as a reality to them. This conviction, this evidence, gives us the ability to bring this unseen world into our scope of reality. Because again, reality is twofold, our physical and the spiritual. That's what the Bible teaches us. As one wrote, he says, the word evidence simply means a conviction. This is the inward conviction from God that what he has promised he will perform. 
The presence of God-given faith in one's heart is conviction enough that he will keep his word. Let me explain it this way. Have you ever had that awkward moment where you're at somebody's home and you're visiting for the first time, or maybe the second, and it's a beautiful day and they want to entertain you out on their balcony or out on their lovely patio. Maybe they have a pool and they got the grill out there, in Rick's case, the smokers out there and so forth. And you can, I already smell the salmon. And it just smells so good. And he has you entertained and we go out through the sliding glass doors to enter into the patio and so forth. And then you realize that you've left something inside and you've turned around really quickly not to realize that Anita had closed the screen door behind you and you walk face flush into the window. Have you ever done that? Now, come on, confess it. Come on, you've all done it at one time or another. We laugh at the birds that do it, you know, and so forth. We've all done it. Something we can't see and we are moving forward as it doesn't exist or that it is open and yet we crash into it. That is the reality that God wants us to walk within. Though we can't see the glass door because it's, you know, he keeps it so clean and, and so forth, and Rick doesn't put one of those little stickers, you know, say, watch out, and, you know, and you, but yet it's still there, isn't it? I can't walk through it. I have to acknowledge it and so forth. That is the conviction of something that, is, that you can't necessarily see, but you can sense with one of the other senses. And it's, again, it's a mild illustration of the overall point. One who has true faith will acknowledge the spiritual world and they will act accordingly in the physical world. They will walk accordingly in the physical world because it's as much a reality to them as the physical world. That's the faith that he is talking about here. As one wrote, he says, faith extends beyond what we learn from our senses. And as the author is saying, that is its reasons It tests are not those of the senses which yield in some cases uncertainty. We have a certainty in God. And that certainty then brings us to live as God would want us to live. So what I am saying in in one sense is this. That someone who acknowledges God but does not live according to God, I would actually have to question if they truly believe in God. Because faith tells me that what I cannot see is still as much of reality as that which I can. And as a result, individuals were commended by God for the manner in which they lived. And that's the third word that we find in verse 2 that we look at, the the (laughs) condemnation. Thank you. And as a result, these individuals were rewarded accordingly, even though they personally did not have the benefit of the blessings. As they looked forward to the coming Messiah, you and I look back at a reality that has already happened. They looked forward to it. They believed that it was going to happen just as much as we believe that it has already happened. And that's faith. And they lived accordingly. And we'll see, Abraham lived accordingly. God says that, you know, you're going to have children. Abraham said, yeah, but I'm 100 years old. And you all, he says, you're going to have a, a child through Sarah the natural way. 
So Abraham and Sarah had to you know, acknowledge God and then act appropriately to conceive and to have a child, and I'll let you fill in that blank. Noah was told that he is going to experience a judgment of rain and that the whole world would be flooded and God is going to wait for him to build an ark before the rain to fall. Now, we don't even get past the idea of what's an ark. And yet Noah built it for 120 years, fully believing that what God was going to do, he was going to do even before he did it. That's faith. James challenges us in a very unique way as believers, and I want to bring this to your attention. We absolutely believe that we are saved by grace and grace alone. There are no works in which an individual can do to merit salvation. We all agree with that. But saving faith changes a person's life. Saving faith will take a person and from the distorted image that the world has created him and her or her in and begin to work in that person's life to bring them into the beautiful image of Jesus Christ. That's true salvation. And as in in accordance to that, individuals then will start living according to what they say they believe. Again, if someone says, I believe something and doesn't live according to it, you really have to ask them, do they believe it? James said it this way, but some of you will say that you have faith and I have works, he says. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. I will demonstrate that I truly believe by the manner in which I live. Those works aren't earning me salvation. I don't obtain it that way. I don't maintain it that way. But it's an evidence of the fact that I truly believe that in which I say I believe. I have the assurance and I have the evidence that the assurance is built upon to allow me to trust the structure in which I'm crossing over the river that is before me. I like the way this individual wrote. He says, this type of faith operates quite simply. God speaks and we hear his word. We trust his word and act on it no matter what the circumstances are or what the consequences may be. The circumstances may be impossible and the consequences frightening and unknown, but we obey God's word just the same and believe him to do what is right and what is best. Let me give you four takeaways to help you grow in this faith. If we are going to grow in our faith, we must know the God in whom we have faith. The writer of Hebrews says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. My faith grows. Not only my faith that allows me to believe in him as my savior, but my faith in him grows as I begin to know God and him personally. Because it isn't simply intellectual knowledge or simple facts about God that I am retaining by reading his word. By reading his word and learning about his character and the manner in which he interacted with the individuals of the Bible and seeing the consistency, for God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, seeing that consistency work out and play out in my own life. As God has given us various trials and troubles and tribulations, as I've turned to him and say, Lord, I will trust you through it. I don't know how I'm going to get through it, but you are with me and you will see me through it. And when he does, 
you then can look back on that experience and say, you know what, God was faithful then, so God will be faithful now. That's the coupling of the intellectual knowledge of God coupled with the experiences of walking and living with God. God is a reality to me, not just simply because the Bible tells me so, it's because he's active in my life. When did we think that we serve a dead God? He's a living God and he's aware of the things that we go through. It's amazing to me. He says that he has every hair on my head numbered. I don't know why he's subtracting. Is it easier? I don't know. It's not good on my end, Lord, but if it's good for you. Every tear that I've ever cried in a bottle, God knows me that intimately and he wants me to know him that intimately so that when I'm faced with trials, troubles, and tribulations, I can allow God into the equation and it changed the whole dynamic of my circumstances. Remember Peter, when he got out of the boat and he began to walk on top of the water above the waves, It was the moment that he took his eyes off of God that he began to sink. It is at that same moment that you and I begin to sink when we take our eyes off of the Lord and put them onto our circumstances. The Bible says that he saw the waves and were frightened by them and he began to sink. Now the story doesn't end there. For it says that Jesus reached down and grabbed him and once again pulled him above the waves. That's our God. We need to know our God, number one. Number two, They allowed their faith to move them. As I've read through Hebrews 11, I've discovered that each and every one of them allowed their faith to move them forward in life. They just didn't sit there. They moved forward in life and walked with God. What an incredible term to use to describe the relationship between us and God. It's not that we sit with God It's that we walk with God. There are times that we sit at his feet and listen and worship, but there are most of the times we're walking with him. As a disciple would walk behind his teacher, we walk with him. We need to be moving forward. Let me describe it this way, again, using the bridge as an analogy. If I say that I know that there is a bridge over the river, I'm simply acknowledging its existence. I know that there's a bridge over there. When I come to that bridge, if I say to myself, I believe that that bridge can allow me to walk across it and get to the other side to where I want to go. That's belief. I believe that that bridge is capable of supporting me and allowing me to cross the river. But there's a third dynamic. The third dynamic takes me forward. Faith. Faith allows me to take that first step upon that bridge and begin to plant one foot after another to walk across that bridge. That's where God wants us to get to, where we believe in him in such a a dynamic way that the unseen becomes the reality with the physical and allows us to move forward. I know, I believe, I have faith, allowing us then to cross that bridge. Number three, If we want to grow in our faith, like each of the inductees in the hall of faith, we must be obedient to God's word. If we choose not to obey God's word, we're not going to move forward in our momentum and in our walk with him. We must be willing to obey what God has written to us. And number four, as you move forward, I should say, as you get to know God, 
as you move forward, as you be, are obedient to his word, mark for yourself each and every time God has confirmed himself in, in your faith, meaning that he was faithful to a promise in which he made to you and therefore allows you to take another step forward. Remember when the children of Israel left Egypt, they left in such a dynamic way. As the plagues came upon Egypt, they saw the hand of God like never before. Even the cartoon, the prince of Egypt, is so awesome to watch, you know. And of course, you know, Moses looked like Charlton Heston. There's no getting around that. But how many of you still watch those movies and when they come to the Red Sea, you're still there, oh, I can't wait, watch this. This is the best part. And I love it. All of a sudden, Moses gets up there, he branches his hands and the sea parts and then the prince of Egypt, there's a big shadow of a shark and they're all scared and they're walking across and so forth. Same in the Charlton Heston movie. It's a great part. If you read the Old Testament going forward, how many times God reminds them? Now, remember that? Remember when you thought your back was against the wall, the cliffs were on both sides, the Egyptian army was behind you, the Red Sea was in front of you, you thought your back was against the wall? What did I do? I showed myself strong. And the reason the children of Israel couldn't step into the land in which God was giving them is because they had lost that faith and confidence in God. Because the land had giants in it and they became afraid of these so-called giants. And God says, I parted a Red Sea. What are giants? And of course, what's one of the first things David does? Slays the giant. The issue is, is that God gives us these experiences to remember. If God can do that, what, God can do this. Allowing me that faith to move forward in my Christian life. Faith enables us to understand what God is doing at any given time. Faith allows us to see what others around us cannot see. Faith enables us to do what others cannot do, and this is why they would call it illogical. Because again, as they are, they are kept captive to the confines of the physical world, and that's where all of their abilities and limitations lie, we as believers in God say, no, there's another reality that is just as great as the physical, and that's the spiritual that supersedes the reality of the physical in every way, shape, and form. As one of my favorite commentators, Tom Constable, wrote, Faith celebrates now the reality of the future blessings that constitute the objective and the content of hope. He says, he went on to write, someone else observed that faith is a spiritual organ that enables a person to perceive the invisible realities of life. Get to know God. Allow God to move you forward. Trust him as you take that next step with him here in this new year. As you read God's word, choose to be obedient and do not rebel against it. And as God shows himself strong, number four, remember each and every one of those cases that you may look back at them as evidences of God's faithfulness to his promises to us. And tell me if faith will not grow within you 
And faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen.